Welcome to Hope Assembly of God Online. We believe no matter the journey, there is always hope. This is a recording of our live Sunday sermon, unedited, uncut, real. Friday was a difficult day. Uh, We laid to rest our dear friend and brother, Bill Hall. Bill throughout his life touched so many lives that only heaven knows. Only heaven knows. But as I looked over the congregation that day and even our congregation today, uh, the lives that he touched, pastors. He was your teacher, right, Pastor Bro? Justin, down, downstairs working with the children. He was a mentor to missionaries, Garrett and Tara. Ray, he was your teacher. Ray, worship leader. Uh, missionaries, Garrett and Tara, he impacted their lives. Something I learned that day was that uh, Garrett mowed his lawn. I didn't know that. And uh, that must have been a scene. Like if you knew Bill uh, and you know Garrett, that must have been quite a uh, negotiation. How about it, Rita? Yeah? Quite a negotiation uh, in that. But influenced their lives. Tara's wedding party actually got changed at Bill and Rita's house. Uh, to them. He influenced ministers. Pastor Kenyon shared one of the um, one of the things that Bill did that enabled Pastor Kenyon to have a retirement. Uh, I won't go to the details of that, but changed Pastor Kenyon's life and retirement. And Bill was influential in changing uh, Dory and my family's life in that he took the lead on on uh, our retirement, uh, now, even now, the benefits of that. Um, we don't own the parsonage we live in. We're thankful for it. We love it. It's, it's, it's amazing. We were able to raise our children there, but we don't own it. And so we needed to focus on retirement. And he talked to the board and to the church about taking another step in that. And so our lives will be impacted for the rest of our lives. Uh, to the friends. Uh, I know on that day and probably this day, we could have just gone around one by one and just talked about how Bill touched our lives. Family. It was nice to meet some of his family and to be able to spend time with them under difficult circumstances, but nice to be able to do that. His web of influence is incalculable. I closed the service with this thought. Bill's work on earth is done. He has entered God's rest, but his works continue through each of us. And this is what we're going to look at today. You see, death does not stop the believer's influence. Here's your takeaway for today. You ready? Because the believer's influence is... Okay, half of you got that. The hint was when I turned and looked at the screen. See, the believer's influence is unstoppable, see? We're going to look at the life of Stephen today. Look at the life of Stephen. I thought I was only doing two chapters, and then when I re-looked at my notes, we're actually doing three chapters today. Is everybody comfortable? Need anything to drink? Any coffee? No? All right. I'll ask you in about 20 minutes, okay? And we'll see see where we go from there. But I want to look at the life of Stephen, uh, the, the, the life and death of Stephen. 
Now, Stephen was one of the Greek Jewish believers. Remember last week we looked at the, the problem within the early church and how it was solved by the people of God and that they chose a Greek Jewish believers to minister to the Greek Jewish believers. And we talked about that. Stephen was one of those guys. And so in Acts chapter 6, verse 8, Acts chapter 6, verse 8, it will help you today to follow along in your Bibles. Now, Stephen, a man full of grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Opposition arose, however. Remember we talked about when we want to serve God and follow God, not everyone's going to be happy about it. So here he was full of God's grace and power, and the religious leaders hated him for it. So opposition arose from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, the Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia, who began to argue with Stephen. I'm going to say this again because I haven't said it in a while. Whenever the t Bible talks about the Jews, it doesn't mean all Jews. Jesus was born a, Peter was a, John was a, it's talking about religious leaders, those that opposed so we can't take that as racial discrimination when it says Jews because not all Jews were against Jesus, okay? Uh, but so, so they came against him. These were very powerful and intelligent people. They probably had what we would call PhD in philosophy and religion. They were very smart, very intelligent, very powerful people. Verse 10 tells us, though, but they could not stand up against the wisdom the Spirit gave him as he spoke. They were no match for the Spirit of God in Stephen's life. Verse 11, Then, because that was true, then they, does anybody see it? Verse 11, secretly persuaded some men. We've heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Was that true? No, no. So they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified. This fellow never stopped speaking against this holy place and the law. Verse 14 of chapter 6, For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. The glory of God was upon Stephen at this moment. Chapter 7. Then the high priests asked Stephen, are these charges true? Now, I'm not going to read the rest of chapter 7. His message to them, but I would encourage you to read that. But I'll tell you the basic point of it, and there was a lot in there. But the basic point of it is was throughout Israel's history, they rejected every man of God that tried to lead them to God. And they killed them all. And just as they killed the prophets and the priests in the Old Testament, now they had killed the Son of God. That was the basis of it. Okay, so he gets to verse 51, or he gets to the end. When I was in high school, my speech teacher, his name was Jess Hall, and I was thinking about this because I just, he had passed away, but I met his wife when I was in Hubbard and, uh, for my mom's uh, birthday party. And it just reminded me of speech class. And in ninth grade, I was terrified to speak in public, terrified. And I remember having to do a one-minute impromptu speech and I didn't know whether I could do it. 
Now you all wonder if he can finish in 30 minutes. I was teasing John and Joe upstairs when Pastor Joe was sharing. Uh, I was saying, oh, boy, I should never let a preacher go before the preacher. He's going to take everything I, I have to say. <laughs> and, then I said, and then I said, oh, no, I always have something to say. And John, John Sapello by name, John Sapello is his name. He said, he said oh, no, we, we know you always got something to say. <laughs> but anyway, Jess Hall taught us that in, that in speeches... Who would have known in ninth grade I'd be called to the ministry and speak for a living? Who would have thought that? Uh, not me. He taught us in your speech, have an introduction, a middle part where you're emphasizing the main point and a conclusion. Okay? And we still follow those similar patterns in preaching. Watch how Stephen concludes his speech. Not with, thanks for your time and, uh, and uh, appreciate you listening. Thanks for coming. He concludes his speech with this, you stiff-necked people. <laughs> Your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. Can you imagine that to the Jews at the time? Their cir the circumcision was a sign of the covenant relationship that they had with God. And now he's saying, you're uncircumcised. You're as bad as the, 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 the Gentiles. You're as bad as the Philistines. Can you imagine you're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. You know how we say in arguments at, at home or whatever, you never say always because that just leads to, you never, you always, that always leads to an argument. He closes with you always resist the Holy Spirit. Was there ever a prophet or ancestor that you did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one and now you have betrayed and murdered him. You who have received the law that was given through the angels but have not obeyed it. Wow. That's quite a conclusion. And watch what they did in verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Oh, it was so, look at me. It was so angry. So angry at what he had to say. Verse 55. So they were angry, but Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. It's the only time we see Jesus standing in heaven, overseeing what was going on in Stephen's life. That gives me chills just thinking about it. So let me talk to you about what son of man means. That Jesus called himself son of man. He was son of God and son of man. There's a point in there too, 100% God, 100% man, okay? But this takes us back to Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I want to read that to you, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. So he, Stephen's telling them, this Jesus who you killed just a little while ago, still fresh in their memories, this generation who you killed, this is the son of man. 
I see him coming in the clouds. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. Verse 14, and he was given authority, glory, sovereign power, and all nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed because God's kingdom is... His kingdom is one that can never be destroyed because God's kingdom is. You know, it's not easy for me to point that way backwards anymore. Stephen was saying this, Jesus, the one you crucified, is the son of man of scripture. And they understood what he was saying, and I'm going to show you why. But look what he says, all authority has been given to him, and he's saying, not you, you're just the Sanhedrin. You have some authority and you have some power, but you don't have all power. All glory. Who has all glory? Only God. This Jesus who you crucified is God. Who has all power? Only God. This Jesus who you crucified has all power. And watch this. And all will worship him as God, Jews and Gentiles alike. All will worship him, and his kingdom is forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed because his kingdom is unstoppable. So at first, they were gritting their teeth in anger. And then when he said this, they took it a step further. In verse 57 of chapter 7, at this, they covered their ears. Imagine this. These very wealthy, powerful, influential, educated men covering their ears and yelling at the top of their voices as they rushed at him. Can you picture that scene? These dignified men that like to walk through the marketplaces all decked out in their garb so people could kneel to them or kiss their ring or whatever it was. These dignified men at the mention of Jesus and who he was, who they could not deny the resurrection of. That's why they had to lie and make up stories. When Stephen shines the light of God's word on their life, instead of returning and humbling themselves to the word of God, they grew more and more angry at the word of God. And they gnashed their teeth and they, they covered their ears and they screamed at the top of their voices and they rushed at him and they dragged him out of the city and they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now let that sink in. A believer's influence lives on even after they're gone. A young man named Saul, by them laying the coat at his feet, it was, it was as if Saul was overseeing this stoning. He didn't initiate it necessarily, but he was overseeing it. He was a Pharisee himself at this point. But while they were stoning him, verse 59, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out. Now think he's being stoned, not pebbles, okay? Stoned to the point of death. I'm not going to get into that. He cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The same words as Jesus on the cross. 
And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. Next chapter, first verse. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Saul became Paul. So in chapter 9, see, I went through 6, 7, 8, 9. You're welcome. Saul was on his road to Damascus, on the road to Damascus to do what? To persecute believers persecute believers. He was so full of zeal, not godly zeal, he was so full of rage against Jesus and the people of the way that he had them killed and he was headed to Damascus to carry out more of this under the authority of the Sanhedrin and Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? See, people don't hate you, they hate Jesus. People don't hate the church necessarily, they hate Jesus. And never forget that. The persecution against the church is against Jesus. And it's because we're Christ's followers that we get caught up in that. We would talk about, I I, I have to preach the book of Revelation again coming up. Would that be all right? See, that's even better than the unstoppable. And I even pointed to the answer up there. But we talked about what? The philipsis, if you remember that. The kingdom of God pressing against the kingdom of this world. And believers are caught in it. And we call that tribulation. Not the tribulation, but tribulation. And that's what we're experiencing in our nation today. Did you see that video? Fighting against each other. Interesting. Anyway. Why are you persecuting me? And I believe that at that moment, this is my belief, that Saul's mind went to Stephen because he was being called out for his persecution and overseeing the death of Stephen, which was actually persecution against Jesus. I believe that Saul never forgot the love that Stephen showed while being stoned. I believe he never forgot that. I believe that even when he wrote after salvation that I'm the worst of all sinners, he had a picture of Stephen dying and saying, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. He saw, watch, the love of God lived out through Stephen and Stephen's influence lived on even after he was gone. Saul became Paul. Who was Paul? The greatest missionary ever lived greatest church planter, greatest evangelist ever, wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, willingly endured multiple attempts at his life, near-death persecution, beaten, shipwrecked, snake bit, imprisoned, everything. He willingly endured that when he surrendered to God because of the difference that Jesus made in his life But I think part of that, now I'm not taking credit away from Jesus, part of that was Stephen's influence in Saul Paul's life that even in death he was pointing people to the Savior. Stephen's influence impacted Paul's life because the believer's influence is unstoppable, even in death. 
And so we have to ask this question now of ourselves, who is in your circle of influence and who are you influencing? We start with our family. If you're not being an influence in your immediate family, then that's probably a bad thing. Okay? God has placed those people in your life to be a godly influence in their life. Friends in your circle of influence, people that you're going to have a barbecue with today or tomorrow. God has placed you there for a reason. And watch this. God has even placed unbelievers, angry sometimes, hateful unbelievers in your path because he wants you to be the light in their darkness. I've heard people say, oh, I, w- I wish I worked in a, in a Christian environment. Well, that's not where God has placed you. He's placed you there to be a missionary and to be a light. If he wanted you in a Christian environment, he would have placed you there. But can I give you a secret? Working in a Christian environment is still working with people. You just have wrong expectations of them. And if you're frustrated at this job, you'll be frustrated at that job too just for religious reasons. If you're not happy there, you won't be happy here because you're still there. You see how that works? But who has God placed in your life to be an influence over? And then how? Who has he placed? How are you influencing them? Are you influencing them toward God or away from God? Now let me talk to believers here today. Just because we talk about leading people away from God doesn't mean that you invite them to Kavanaugh's on a Saturday night and get them drunk or that you offer them drugs or you lead them in a worldly manner. Do you know that sometimes Christians can lead people away from God? And I'll explain this to you. Because if you're not living the light, then sharing the light doesn't have the impact. You have to live the light before you can share the light. If you live a life that's really no different than unbelievers other than you come to church or you say something out of your mouth, but if you don't live it, then you're actually leading people away from God and not towards God. If you're a miserable Christian, I heard this joke, I don't know if it's good or not, but uh, if you look like you were baptized in lemon juice, then you might be leading people away from God. Why would I want to serve a Jesus that makes someone so miserable? So when we say leading away from God to believers, we're not talking about going and, you know, leading them into the things of the world. We're presenting Jesus in a way that really isn't light, that really isn't life, that really isn't love. What if, the, what if there's a believer that's more hateful than anybody else in their circle of influence? They'll know you're Christians by your, okay? So we ask these questions. Who has God placed in our circle? How are we influencing them towards God or away from God? Are you showing the love of God? Are you a forgiving person or are you a person that holds on to grudges? Are you a forgiving person or do you rehearse all of the wrongs that have ever been done to you in your life? Are you a generous person or are you a stingy person? Generosity is part of the image of God in our lives. Watch, let me show you. 
If you watch a show, a TV show or something, and somebody sacrificially is generous, it touches your heart. These shows where a secret millionaire helps a family that's struggling, and we all cheer at the end. Why? Because generosity is built into our nature because God is a generous God. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. See, God is a generous God, and so when we tap into the generous side of our nature, we're showing God-likeness, see? And that makes others feel good, and it makes ourselves feel good, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I don't think that's a bad thing, that we feel good, that we're generous. We don't, not pride, that's where you show off, but being generous. Are you generous or are you stingy? I really have a problem with not, not stewardship, not even frugalness, not even wisdom, financial wisdom, but I have a problem with stingy believers because you just don't believe that God can meet all your needs according to his riches and glory. Because if you did, when God spoke to your heart about giving, you would do it cheerfully because you know that he doesn't have just one pie and when all the pieces are gone, there's nothing left. He just bakes another pie. If I give away all my pie to someone in need, I just believe God will provide another pie. And I also believe God is so generous, he gives us two pies. One to enjoy and one to give out again. It's different between being a good steward and being, oh, jeez, I almost said stupid. (laughs) And being stupid with your money, that's different. And being stingy. Don't be stupid or stingy. There's your takeaway for today. What would your pastor preach on? He said, don't be stupid and don't be stingy. Well, that's not so bad. Are Are you a person of integrity? Do you act the same way on Saturday night that you do on Sunday morning? Are you a fake on Sunday morning and you're real the rest of the week? If you've categorized your Christian life into this is church and this is the rest of my life, then it's possible you have an issue with integrity because we as believers shouldn't live any differently on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday because he's changed all of our lives, not part of our lives. Are you a person of your word? Can someone on a handshake trust you and believe you? And are you a person of his word? All right, let me narrow this down. Our influence will live on long after we're gone. And we have a choice in whether we're going to influence people towards God or away from God. And that is determined by how we're going to live our lives. Are we going to live the light and share the light? Or are we just hypocritically going to share the light without living the light? Are we going to be a person of integrity? Are we going to be a generous person? Are we going to be a satisfied person in whatever God has given us? Are we going to be a person of our word that someone can trust us? Jesus put it this way, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Are we going to live that way in business, in life, in church? And you know what happens? That when God's light shines through us, darkness flees. It puts up a nasty fight. But who's on the Sanhedrin today? Name me five names on the Sanhedrin today. Ready? Go. 
because the Sanhedrin is gone, but his kingdom is forever. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your influence lives on long after you're gone because your influence is and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Hope Online Podcast. For more information about Hope Assembly of God, go to www.godgivesyouhope.com or download our app in the App Store.